eschatology is the study of end time events, right? We know that in the Bible. But did you know that somewhere between 27 and 30% of the Bible deals with prophecy? The majority of it is about end times. Did you know that? I mean, a lot of scripture has been taught on this subject. But the time that you and I are living in right now is the most prophesied time in the Bible. You know, 10 years ago, we would teach end time stuff like, well, I think this may happen. I think this, it looks like this could happen. We don't do that now. Now you're like, it's all here. You know, I could, I could take the time for this whole service and talk about things that have just happened in the earth, even this week, even as few as a few days ago, things that are happening to line everything up. This Ezekiel 38 conflict that will take place after the rapture of the church, it's all in place. I mean, it's amazing. As Pastor Dave even said, you know, they estimate in November of this year that the population of the earth will hit 8 billion people. There's more people alive today than there has ever lived from Adam till now. That's, that's amazing, right? So we got to prepare ourselves. We must prepare ourselves because you are about to go from faith to sight. We must prepare ourselves to meet him face to face because that's coming very soon. There's such an anointing upon me right now to say that. The Old Testament and the Gospels, they show us signs of the second coming of Jesus Christ. The second coming being the part, there's two parts to the second coming. But we're talking about the Old Testament and the Gospels show us these signs of the second coming where he comes physically to this earth. 333 prophecies were prophesied about Jesus' first coming, him coming to the earth, where he would be born, how he would be born, how he would live, how he would die. All of these things, every one of them fulfilled to the letter. It's a mathematical impossibility. I think they say for eight of them, for a human being to fulfill eight things in their life, it would be, I think it's 10 to the 17th power. I don't even know what that is. That's a lot of zeros, right? Talk to Pastor Edwin after the church and he could kind of fill you in on what that is, right? The only picture I've been told is if you take, if you were to take like silver dollars and stack them on the whole state of Texas four feet deep, and if you were to fly over and drop one out of a helicopter that was painted red, and then you were to come back the next day in a helicopter the chance of you landing and getting out of the helicopter and picking up the red one is about 10 to the 17th power. And he fulfilled, yet he fulfilled 333. Amen. There's over 600 prophecies for his second coming. We, as the church, are to know the time that we are living in. We are living, we talk about the last days. The proper term in the Bible is we are living at the end of days. 
right? So I, I just want to talk about that today. Now, the epistles, right? When you go, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but when you get into the epistles, that's all the rest of the New Testament books, right? Right up to the book of Revelation. All these epistles, they do what? They give us the end time doctrine concerning the rapture of the church. So if you're reading the gospels, realize you're talking about the second coming. But when you get into the epistles, it'll start talking about the rapture of the church, which is the first part of the second coming. So let's, you know, actually, we're going to go a little different route. I was wondering about that. Let's go. Go to 1 Peter. Hallelujah. I'm sorry. Go right. Go, go to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. So there are some signposts that you must know that tell us about this coming, second coming of Jesus for his church. He doesn't come physically to the earth. We meet him in the clouds. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, Peter writes under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. He says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and also be mindful of the commandment of us the apostles of the Lord and Savior. In other words, Peter is saying, in verse 1 and verse 2, he's saying, remember what I taught you when I was with you. That's basically what he was saying. Verse 3. Now he's going to get into this. Knowing this first, notice this is something that you and I are to know, that there shall come in the last days, eschatos is the Hebrew, or I'm sorry, the Greek word. It means the final, the end of days. There shall come in the last days, in the end of days, in the final days, scoffers who are walking after their own lusts. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, you don't, don't turn there, but 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 uses this last, this same word, this same Greek word that means end of days. It says this, this know also that in the last days, eschatos, the end of days, the final days, perilous times will come. This word perilous means dangerous, difficult, and strength-reducing times will come. Well, guess what? They're not will come now. They are here. Have you noticed that? They're here. Satan is working behind the scenes very strongly to produce dangerous and difficult times that will zap the strength from people. Okay? So this is important that we know this. In other words, these verses are describing the climate of our day. Okay? Verse 4. And saying, well, let me read verse 3 again in 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 3, 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking over after their own lusts and saying, 
So they're walking, basically these scoffers are going to walk after the lusts of their flesh. I'm telling you, a large percentage of what this is talking about are not unbelievers, they're Christians that are carnal, flesh-ruled. What do they say? Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Have you heard any believers saying that? Hey, you know what? They've always said he's coming back. But you know what? It's still life as usual. Right? This verse is telling us what they will say. Verse 5. For this they willingly are ignorant of. Scoffers saying these things, walking after their own lust, they are doing this according to their will. They're choosing, they're choosing to do this. Why, why would they choose? Because the Spirit of God, if they're born again in them, the Spirit of God is going, this is the end. You need to put me first. You need to seek me. You need to be full of the word to protect your family and do all. You need to get about the kingdom business and stop being all about you. Right? I mean, that's what the Holy Spirit, that's why so many Christians have so much inner turmoil. Right? Inner turmoil. They know if you can get them to slow down long enough, they know they're just living for themselves and, and really they're not living as Jesus is their Lord. And there's no life in that at all. And God wants to help them. Verse six, well here, let me, let me just say this. Verse five, for this they willingly are ignorant of, and then here, look at this, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old. Now Peter is gonna start talking about a truth that is to be an elementary doctrine that everybody should know, but that some people have been willingly ignorant of. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Okay? Whereby the world, this is the Greek word cosmos, the world system, that then was being overflowed with water. Okay, so this is talking about by the word of God, God made the heavens, they were of old, and he made the earth standing out of the water and in the water when he made it. He didn't make it with water covering the whole thing. Okay? So now he's going in, whereby this world system that was then being overflowed with water perished. This world that was then perished. This Hebrew word perished literally means to be put out of the way entirely, with the emphasis on entirely. To put an end to, to destroy wholly completely destroyed the world that then was was completely destroyed was could this be talking about the flood of noah it can't because 
this word destroyed fully brought an end to, the world wasn't brought to an end. Noah's family was saved. Animals were saved, right? It's not talking about Noah's flood. This is talking about before the Genesis 1-1 account. There's a, we don't know how many years are in between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. Go ahead and put up Genesis 1-1 really fast. Right? You know this. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Verse 2. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. In the beginning, God, Elohim is the word, created the heaven. In the Hebrew language, this word is heavens. It means the first and second heaven, which surround the earth, not the third heaven where God dwells. He he created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was. It's the Hebrew word that means became. The literal translation of this, and the earth became without form and void. Without form, this Hebrew phrase literally means it became a desolation. It became void. It became ruin. And here's a big part of this word. It became empty. How many years between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2? We don't know. But there was something here. It wasn't man, but there was another creation. There was a world system in place That when Satan, if you study all this out, it's a whole other teaching. When Satan was cast out of heaven, he utterly destroyed, it said he destroyed cities, he destroyed everything. So, kind of interesting, do you know when God talked to Adam and Eve, he didn't say be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. He said refill the earth. That word replenish in the Hebrew language means bring life back to something that was once alive. Okay? So Peter is talking about this like this is an elementary thing. So what we're doing right now is going back into an ancient truth that he's saying everybody should know. Isn't that interesting? Because right now, you could feel it. People are, you're like, wow, this is really kind of cool. You know, and all this other stuff. But we got to understand this. So, so now it says here, was then being overflowed with water. Look at, I'm going to, uh, you know, I just read to you Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2. Go ahead and put up on the screen Genesis 45, verse 18. Let's look at this. It says, for thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth, And made it. He established it. He created it not in vain. So that's interesting. The Hebrew word vain literally means formlessness. And it means chaos. 
So right here, Isaiah is telling us God established it. He created it not in formlessness. That's why it says in Genesis, and the earth became without form and void. He didn't create it without form and void. This word does, also means chaos. He didn't create it in chaos. It became in chaos. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. See, Peter is talking about another world as an elementary level knowledge or common knowledge. So now let's jump back to 2 Peter. Let's keep going. Verse 7, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. But the heavens and the earth which are now, talking about the Genesis 1 creation account, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Verse 8, but beloved... Be not ignorant of this one thing. So he's saying all this to say this. Don't be ignorant of this one thing. That one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. This is a foundational truth. So to God, one day to us, is like a thousand years. Or, I'm sorry, one day to God, who's not in time, is like a thousand years on the earth. That's how come he says your life is a vapor. If you live all your days and live old, I mean, when you, if you live old enough for people to go, wow, you, you are like old. <laughs> right? That's like, that's like, I know, seriously. It's all relative, Don. Right? Because here's the deal. Even old, 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 it'd be like living to God. It's like you're alive for about two hours, two hours and 15 minutes. Your whole life, right? Think about how much God wants to help you because he's like, man, your life's a vapor. Don't, I mean, he sees people spend their whole lives seeking earthly things and he's like, I've created you to live with me forever this is the shortest period of time you're ever going to be anywhere. And, and there's a devil down there who wants to take you out. But I've come so that you could have my kind of life, days of heaven on the earth. Right? So now let's look at this. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. So a day with the Lord is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. This is a foundational truth. The most ancient of all doctrines concerning the end of days, this is what this is. If you go back, ancient rabbis in Israel spoke about this frequently. They wrote about this. Moses, by the information given to him by God, passed on information that the weeks of earth were types of God's dealing with mankind. God's calendar is on a seven-year cycle. When he talks about it, Daniel's, right? Daniel's 70-week 
prophecy, which we've went into in other script. We won't have time to go into it today. 70 weeks of years or 490 years. So if you break this down, the same seven days can be said about God's dealing with humanity, with human history. Seven days will be his dealing or 7,000 years. From Adam, right? From Adam to Abraham, the Bible said was 2,000 years or two days to God. From Abraham to Jesus was 2,000 years, the Bible says, or two more days. Now we're at four days of God's dealing with humanity, only three days left. Okay? Then Jesus shows up from Jesus' first coming when he came and went, went to the cross his, and came out of the grave at his, from his resurrection until the second time when he touches down his feet after the tribulation period, right? From, from the resurrection to the second coming will be 2,000 years, two more days, which will put us at six days. We know that he came out of the grave in about April of A.D. 30. So 2,000 years from that is 2,030. We're not to be ignorant of this. The 6,000 years is going to be up soon. Right? I mean, really soon. So let's look at this. From AD, let's say AD 30 to 2,030 is two more days. 2,030 is how many years away? Eight? Seven and a little over seven years away now. Now there is some there is some people who've done some research that say he could have came out of the grave in AD 32. After really looking at that, that doesn't really make sense to me. Uh, but okay, so what? So maybe AD 32. That's nine years and a few months, right? Jesus was 30 years old in about A.D. 27. We know that he spent three Passovers with his disciples. A.D. 28, A.D. 29, A.D. 30, and then he was crucified. Right? So the, sec the, the, the millennial reign of Christ, we're talking that's the seventh day. So let's talk about this just a little bit more. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. Why did I go through that? Because you need to see some of these prophecies, but this is like a major signpost for us. We are living at the end. You need to know that. Because you could get so caught up in your life and miss God's plan for your life. And he doesn't want you to miss that. Amen? Doesn't want you to miss that. And that's why... Guys, there is a grace for us to live during this time. There's going to be an acceleration that if you'll go all in with him, man, will things in your life change very quickly. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. I want to kind of go through this. Now we're in the epistles. Now this is really interesting. Paul 
The first letter that he wrote was the letter to the Thessalonians. First letter. He spent fewer, ti fewer time in Thessalonica than anywhere else. He was only there for three months. And yet he expect he talked so much about end times that he said these people would be fully versed in what he was talking about. That's how much Paul talked about end times. That's kind of interesting. And, and yet, we don't talk about it a lot, right? I've had a pastor tell me, man, you know, you, you, you kind of talk about this. Almost like, what are you doing? Because what if this doesn't happen? My thing is, why aren't you talking about it? I mean, Paul lived 1900 and some years ago, and he was talking about it all the time, right? And actually, he was inspired. The Holy Spirit wanted him to. So he said this, chapter 5, verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. Wow. He said, you don't have any need. We, we've talked about this so much. Verse 2, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Now he's talking about the rapture of the church. It's going to come as a thief in the night. Now we got to hold on because it's not, good, it's not supposed to come as a thief in the night for you and for me. It'll come as a thief in the night, as we learn later, for unbelievers. The Bible says the day is not to overtake you as a thief. Because you and I are to live in the light, not in darkness. It says, for you yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Verse 3, for when they shall say, peace, this Greek word means security, I'm secure, and safety, I'm prospering. Then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child. And all the women said, yeah, remember that one, right? All the guys are like, thank God I'm a guy. <laughs> and it says, for they shall not escape. This is a real interesting word, escape. Esfugo is the Greek word. It means to be rescued out of a place. They won't be rescued out. It literally means to flee away. Esfugo, this Greek word, comes from the root word, which literally means to vanish, which is what we're going to do. Right? We're going to hear a trumpet, and we're out of here. Verse 4, but you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. See, God wants his children. This is, why, this is why I'm preaching this. He wants us to have a working knowledge of the time we're living in. He wants us to know we're in the season of his return. Anyone who's spiritually mature at all will know we're very close. There's a lot of Christians that don't know we're close, but if they're, they're, not, they're not in the word. Church is not a big deal to them. They're not seeking first the kingdom. They're just living carnally, and they don't know. 
Even though they're Christians, they're choosing to live in darkness. Their desire is for the things of the world. Why? Because they've never tasted and seen how good the things of God really are. This, there should be an end time push in the church right now. You know, I said in the early service, when I played basketball, we literally had a two-minute offense. If it got down to two minutes, we knew. I mean, we knew exactly what time it was. We're watching the clock. We're full court press. I mean, if we played man-to-man the whole game, we, the coach didn't even need to tell us. At two minutes, two minutes, we're in full court press. We're dropping back into a half court press. We're filling lanes. We're running. We had a motion offense. Man, we would do more in two minutes than we did in a, in a lot of time usually. That when, when you get to the end of a race, you run faster because you could see the finish line. That's the way it should be for us. That's what God wants for us. This is, why do we preach this so that we are real happy about escaping? Well, you should be happy about escaping. I don't want to be here. Could you imagine what it would be like one second after the church leaves this planet? Right? I don't want, but I, don't, I also don't want anybody I know to be here. I don't want my worst enemy. I'd rather see him get saved, right? There is a tangible grace for you and I as believers to run our race during this time, to finish our course. So verse 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, 5. You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. This word sober means in the Greek, let us watch and let us not be moved by our emotions. Have you ever been moved by your emotions? Does that ever take you to a good place, right? Not unless you're following God. If your emotions are right, oh, they're wonderful. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. They that be drunk are drunk in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Why? I love this verse. You should love it too. For God has not appointed us to wrath. The tribulation period is called Jacob's wrath. It is called the wrath of of the Lamb. We're not appointed to wrath. That's why we're not here. Right? But, but we are called, well, we are appointed to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. See, right now during the church age, God is not judging the earth. I don't care what person stands up and, you know, somebody, some city gets taken out by a hurricane, a volcano does this, an earthquake, and they're like, see, God's judging them. No, God's not judging anyone. Nope, that's the enemy. There's going to be no hurricanes, no tornadoes. Hail's not going to damage anybody's car in the millennium when Jesus shows up, Right? No, this is, these are works of the enemy. That's why don't let your, your stuff get damaged by storms. You speak to it in the name of Jesus, and God will, God will protect your stuff. 
because we have authority in the earth, right? For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. See, look at 2 Corinthians. Don't, you don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. 2 Corinthians 2.19 says, To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing or accounting their trespasses unto them. He's, not, he's literally not accounting man's sin to him now. That's how come people could get saved. I love that. And hath committed to us the word of reconciliation. So let's look at this. For God has not appointed us to wrath. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. God has appointed us to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, this is why he writes this, comfort yourselves together. Comfort. How do you get comfort? How do you comfort yourselves? It's always together, guys. If you look at the people you hang out with, and most of them are non-believers, you're not in the right place. Yes, we are to be light to those people. You have them in your life, but they better not be your close circle. Because we get everything together. When the enemy attacks or when you go through stuff, you want to surround yourself. We have so many Christians that come to church today for them. But man, that, that's great. Come to church because you need it. But get to the point where you come to church for others. Get to the point where you're coming to church and I'm going to bring my supply into the service so that others can receive from the Lord. Instead of this, well, you know, I just don't want to serve. I just don't want to do this. And, you know, ah, that Pastor Tony, I really like him, but he just preaches too long. If he would just preach shorter, it would be perfect. Right? Right? To that I say, there are a lot of churches that preach shorter. Right? And if you're going to sit here and whine, I'll help you find one. Because I... I'm going to do what God says, right? Yeah, but, 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 you know, your intellect, a person could only, they could only handle like 15 minutes, and I think the latest one is like 15 minutes. It was like 35, but now it's because you just can't handle, but I'm not, I'm not ministering to your intellect. The Holy Spirit's speaking to your spirit. You have no idea. Man, I'm telling you, the more you feed, the hungrier you get. On God. Comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. See, this teaching is to comfort. We're to comfort each other and we're to comfort ourselves together with this. So let's look at real quick at the timing of the rapture. There were seven feasts in Israel, okay? Four spring feasts and three fall feasts. Leviticus 23 in verses 1 and 2 talk about what these feasts are. It says, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them concerning the feasts of the Lord. The feasts. It's the Hebrew word moed. The moeds of the Lord. 
It means the appointed times. Speak to the children of Israel about the Moabs, Moads, the appointed times of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. This is the Hebrew word mikwah. It literally means to you they're going to be, these feast days, these appointed times, are going to be holy rehearsals. So in other words, when we have a theater production in the church, there's rehearsals. All of these feasts, these four, what, remember, four spring feasts, three fall feasts, all of them were rehearsals that were pointing to a future fulfilled prophetic event. Okay? That's what this is saying. Even these are my feasts or my appointed times, God says. In other words, these seven feasts in Israel were dress rehearsals of a future event. Seven prophetic events in the future. So we're going to start, and we're going to kind of start with the Feast of Tabernacles, which is the last fall feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. It takes place five days after the Day of Atonement, and this feast represents everything that's perfected. So the Jews, in celebration of this feast, it was seven days, if there's an Orthodox Jew, if you know an Orthodox Jew, during this feast, they will go down to Lowe's or Home Depot or Menards and buy materials, and they will build a hut that they will live in outside in their backyard for seven days. And what, what was that for? It was they're, they're doing this in remembrance of the wilderness journeys of the children of Israel. Okay? This is the seventh feast in the seventh month, and it lasts seven days. Seven, seven, seven. It is the perfect number of God. It represents the 40 years that Israel was in the wilderness. It represents Jesus being tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. That was a type. Right? Jesus fulfilled this when he was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. Why 40 days? That's why. Right? There's nothing by accident in the word of God. If you go three and a half years of Jesus' ministry, it would take you from that point, it would take you to Passover, which when Jesus was crucified. Right? So then now let's go, let's go past the winter, we're just going to skip winter. That's just a kind of a godly thing. I wish we could figure out how to do that in Nebraska. But let's jump over to the first, you know, growing up in Southern California, about, about the end of October, I'm ready for spring, completely ready. Oh, I love snow. Well, great. Go to the mountains, right? Then we come to the first spring feast. It was the, it was the feast of Passover. Jesus fulfilled this. He was crucified on the Feast of Passover at the exact time. It tells us right in the Bible, the exact time the priest would have slit the throat of the Passover lambs and blood flowed was the exact time when Jesus gave up his spirit and said, it is finished. The exact time. 
right? John 1, 29. The next day, John sees Jesus coming to him and says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, right? He was born in a manger. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes. Why? Do you know those shepherds in that region of Bethlehem, they were literally, they were priests of the temple. They were shepherding sheep that would be Passover lambs. That's why these baby sheep, they would wrap them, the baby sheep, in swaddling clothes and lay them in a manger because if this baby sheep fell and nicked itself and marked itself, it couldn't be a sacrifice because it had to be perfect. So when Jesus was in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger, he was literally the Lamb of God. Right? The next feast, the second spring feast, Feast of Unleavened Bread. Jesus was buried on this feast. When they would, when they would do the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they would take three pieces of bread, but the middle piece, they would pierce it, they would fold it, and then it would be broken. Jesus said in John 6, 48, I am the bread of life. He was born in Bethlehem. Do you know what the word Bethlehem means? Home of the bread. Coincidence? No. Right? The Jews could not eat leaven for seven days. Leaven represents sin. Seven is the number of perfection. Why? Because Jesus perfectly removed the sin nature and the sin of mankind in his, in his crucifixion and resurrection. He took care of all of it. It's kind of crazy. Why did Jesus... See, he had to be buried to fulfill this feast. That's why... See, the Romans, when they would crucify people, do you know they could keep them alive for up to a week? I mean, could you imagine that? Nailed to a cross for a week, torturing them, keeping them alive to show the world you better not mess with Rome. Jesus... He died a strange death, right? They, we know medically because when they pierced his side and blood and water flowed, that's a condition medically where when, when, when he was made to be sin and everything that happened to him on the cross, he died of a, his heart exploded. Most people died of suffocation. If they wanted to just kill you, if they were tired of torturing you, they'd just break your legs because to breathe, you had to, I mean, think about this. You'd have to pull up and try to get a breath. Pulling up with stakes through your wrists here and through your feet, trying to breathe. And if they broke their legs, they couldn't pull up, so they would just suffocate. But Jesus didn't die that way. But he had to die because he had to be buried on first fruits to fulfill that feast day. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. I love this. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. Then you go into the next spring feast. This is the fourth one now. This is the feast of Pentecost. So Jesus comes out of the grave. 
he appears to over 500 people for 40 days. And then he ascends into heaven. But he tells his disciples, don't go anywhere. You go to Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. They went to Jerusalem. And on the 50th day, Pentecost, that happened 50 days after first fruits. The number 50, it, it literally symbolizes fullness and freedom. The priest would literally wave two loaves of bread on Pentecost, representing fullness and freedom. They didn't realize, because it was a jubilee to the Jews, but the two loaves of bread really is signifying Jews and Gentiles, now fullness and freedom for everybody. Pentecost represents fullness and freedom, but yet we preach all that was all done away with. God help us. Right? This represents the Jews and Gentiles coming into the fullness of God. Fifty days after the resurrection, what happened? When the day of Pentecost was fully come, the Bible says, God poured out his spirit. The Holy Spirit fulfilled this feast. The next feast to be fulfilled is the first fall feast. It is called the Feast of Trumpets. It's a two-day floating feast, right? This year, it will start a week from today on September 25th in Jerusalem at 6 p.m., 10 a.m. in Omaha. And it will go from 10 a.m. in Omaha to 10 a.m. Tuesday in Omaha. It's a floating feast this year. Now, this year is very unique. Remember how I said God does everything in weeks? Last year during the Jewish New Year, the Feast of Trumpets, the Shemitah year, the Sabbath year started. The seventh year started. The seventh year will come to a close in a week. There's much rabbinical teaching that Messiah will come at the end of a Shemitah year. Is it possible that Jesus could come in the rapture of the church next week? It's more possible than it's ever been. If not, it might be seven more years, but man, we're pressing this 2,000-year thing. Is it possible next week? Oh, yeah. 300 red heifers were just delivered to Israel like a couple days ago. First time in human history, China, Russia, and Iran met to talk about their allying themselves together. A colonel in the Air Force that, that I know texted me and goes, hey, did you hear about this? Everything is in place for the war that will take place after the rapture of the church. That's why we preach this, guys. We could be out of here really fast. I mean, we kind of live Rosh Hashanah to Rosh Hashanah. I mean, I, it'll never catch me off guard because, man, during Rosh Hashanah, I, I mean, I'll get up next Sunday morning before I come to church, I'm going to be like, Lord, man, if today is the day, I am ready, I'm watching, I long to see you face to face, right? But then if, if Tuesday at 10 o'clock hits and he doesn't come, we're going to look at each other and go, okay, I think we may have another year. Let's run hard. Let's do what God's called us to do. We kind of live that way. We plan like we're going to live out all our days, but we live with our eyes always up in the air, knowing that we're about to go from faith to sight. It accelerates us. 
And oh, I'm not, I don't want to get out of here just to escape. Because whether, literally, whether he comes now or whatever we face, we're going to walk in the strength of God. We're going we're to be protected, provided for. We're going to do exploits because we know him. We don't fear anything that the enemy could do because the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 53 say it this way. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. You better get real excited about that. Notice it didn't say, but all of those who are really serving God will be changed. Nope. It says we'll all be changed. If anybody is born again, even if they're living a carnal lifestyle, they will be raptured, every one of us. The Bible talks a lot about when you're at the judgment seat of Christ that there will be people that will shrink back. Why? Because when Jesus comes back, that's the first thing that happens. He has his reward with him. It is to be a reward ceremony. But if you've lived your life and you've not walked out God's plan for your life, which all you have to do to do that is nothing. Just be all about yourself, right? And you'll miss it. You won't be happy at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, Jesus is the God of all comfort. And you'll go into eternity and be so grateful but you will have missed the plan on the earth. That's why we teach this, right? People don't like that. Pastor, I don't like that. I don't want you to talk about the blood. That's gross. I don't want you to talk about hell. That doesn't make me feel good. Come on, make me feel good. No, I'm trying. The word will make you feel good. Deep, deep in your soul. It says here, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed. In a moment, this is the Greek word atomos, it's an indivisible amount of time. Instantly, we're gonna be changed. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. That means the dead, the people who are Christians who have died, right? God's going to somehow get their DNA, remake their body into a glorified body, and it's going to meet them in the air. For us on the earth, we're just going to go up and we're going to be changed as we go up. That's awesome. That's going to be a great ride, right? <laughs> the dead shall be raised incorruptible. We shall be changed. For this corruptible, the dead in Christ, must put on incorruption. And this mortal, those of us living in Christ, must put on immortality. Now what's interesting, it says that the last trump, right? This is another reason why I believe Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, is the feast. Because there were nine sessions during Rosh Hashanah. This will start where the priest comes out nine different times randomly on this feast day and blows the shofar 11 times. A total of 99 times he blows this shofar, but then randomly one time he blows it the hundredth time. It's called the last trump. And he blows it louder and he blows it longer. I love that. 
This feast was also called, not just the Feast of Trumpets, it was called Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. During the rapture, what happens? All becomes new. The feast is also called Yom Teruah. It means the day of the awakening blast. Isn't that awesome? This feast is also called Yom Hadin. It's a day of judgment. Trumpets are always associated with judgment. And when we say a trumpet, it's a shofar. The judgment seat of Christ is the first thing that happens to us before we go in and start partying in the you know, marriage supper of the Lamb for seven years. In Revelation twenty two twelve, it says, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give to every man according as his work shall be. This feast is also called Yom Hezekaron. It's a day of remembrance. The rapture is a day of remembrance. It's a day where God remembers all who are his and plucks them out of the earth. Wow, I love this. The feast is also called the wedding day of the Messiah. This feast, the slang term of this feast in Jesus' day was it was the day that no man knows. Mark 13, 32, but of that day and at that hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. So this is the next feast to be fulfilled. 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 says, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. We are to know, guys. That day won't overtake you. I believe there's going to be a stirring on that day where you're just going to get up and we're going to be like, something is about to happen. Doesn't the Holy Spirit show you things to come? Have you ever had that where you just, I mean, I have that all the time. I had that this morning when the Lord completely changed the direction of everything, right? You know, and, and just, I saw the flow. Man, I love, I love walking with him. So then, see, see, think about it this way. You know, December 30th, 1989 was the day I got married. Do you know, yeah, I know, woohoo, it's right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> 33 years. It's awesome. She still doesn't have me trained, but man, the process is fun, so it's all good. But did you know the day you got married? Or did any, is, is there anybody here that that day caught you off guard? Like, oh, shoot, I got to get married. No, 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 no. You know what? The rapture of the church is not going to catch you off guard like that either. It's going to catch the world a little off guard. Right? So then... The second fall feast, this is the Day of Atonement. You've probably heard it called Yom Kippur. This feast takes place 10 days after the Feast of Trumpets. The second coming of Christ to the earth will fulfill this feast. There's only one feast that's in between the second coming when he comes to this earth and all the ones that have been fulfilled, and it's, it's Rosh Hashanah. I love this. So, signposts, a couple more signposts. We have Israel, 
becoming a nation a second time in one day. So not only do we know that this day with the Lord is as a thousand years, a thousand years is as a day, that, that the church age has got to end in anywhere from 2030 to 2032. Well, pastor, that's pretty bold. Well, it's, it's just what it is, right? I mean, do you know the religious leaders of Jesus' day knew who he was? The scribes had revealed that they would come, not a conquering king, but there would come a sacrifice. They even, before Jesus showed up. Nicodemus goes, listen, we know you're sent from God. Nobody can do what you do. Think about the high priest Caiaphas. Knew, this is the Messiah, but I don't want to share anything. I want this to be all about me. Now, I don't know about you. You could get down on Caiaphas, but have you ever made it all about you when it's really all about him? Yeah. Thank God he's long-suffering, right? He just forgives. But Israel becoming a nation a second time, and they became a nation in one day. Even the way it happened was supernatural. Do you know how many times a nation has been a nation, then they were conquered and spread around, how many times they came back and became a nation again? In human, all of human history, it's never happened. But yet, in our lifetime, it happened. May 14th of 1948, supernaturally in one day, Israel became a nation. That's amazing. But we look at it like, oh, well, whatever. I mean, that, that's literally amazing. Isaiah chapter 11 Verse 11 and 12 says this, And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand against again the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, from the islands of the sea. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. So if we look at Babylonian, or at, at history, of it, the history of Israel, Babylon defeated Israel in 600 BC and they were in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. Right? So then, then Rome conquered them in A.D. 70, after the death of Jesus, right? In A.D. 70, Rome conquered them and scattered them, not just in one country like Babylon, scattered them all over the world. And this is what Isaiah was talking about. Then in 1948, on May 14th, they became a nation. The Bible says, I mean, people, they came from all over the world and became a nation again in your lifetime. Isaiah 66, verse 7 and 8 says this, Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such a thing or such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. 
Now, in 1948, when they, when they became a nation, they only controlled half of Jerusalem. They didn't control the whole thing. Signpost number two, they took Jerusalem back, control of the whole city in the Six-Day War in June of 1967. Read about that war, supernatural war, how they won. Luke 21, verses 20 through 24 says this, And when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. This is talking about when Rome conquered them. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let them which are in the midst of it depart out. Let not them that are in the countries enter thereunto. For these shall be, or for these be the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child and to them that are breastfeeding in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon the people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. This is describing what happened to them when Rome took them over. And Jerusalem, now this is what's so big, and Jerusalem will be trodden down of the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles, the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. The times of the Gentiles were fulfilled in June of 1967 when Israel took control over all Jerusalem. That ended. Do you know Jerusalem will never be conquered again? Ever. I love that. So then in Matthew 24, it says this, in verses 32 through 34, now hang with me. This is so important. you got to go back and outline this because you got to share this with people. It says, now learn a parable of the fig tree. A fig tree is always a type of Israel. When his branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves. When did that happen? May 14th, 1948. The branch led, it, it be, when they became a nation, this is when the fig tree budded. You know that summer is nigh. Summer then is here. Okay, so likewise you, when you see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors, verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. And if you study and read Matthew 24, it even talks about all the way up to the second coming. Basically, the generation that sees the beginning of these things will see the end. The second coming. So anybody born in May of 1948 is going to see the second coming. Well, man, 1948, what is that, 74 years? Right? And then you have a seven-year tribulation, that's 81 years. Right? How, how, I mean, that generation's getting older, Right? This is, so, this is so thrilling. 
1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 says this, But I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even others that have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. You're going to hear the trumpet of God, the shofar of God, and you're going to hear in, John, in Revelation chapter 4, when God showed him the rapture of the church, he said, a door was opened to me in heaven, and a trumpet said to me, come up here. That's what we're going to hear. Isn't that cool? Wow. Verse 17, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. It's the Greek word harpazo. It means to catch up. It means to snatch away, to carry off. We're going to be carried off. People will say, oh, that rapture doctrine just started in the last hundred years. Rapture's not in the Bible. Oh, are you kidding me? Right? Harpazo. Caught away. Carried away. They tell you not to get carried away. I want to get carried away. It says... They will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Look at this again. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. 1 Corinthians 15 says it this way. In verse 50, it says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Oh, that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? Man, I love that. So in John 14, in verses 1 through 3, it says, let not your heart be troubled. Don't allow your heart to be stirred and agitated. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there's many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. This is literally a description of the Galilean wedding. The Galilean wedding. I mean, it's so cool the way that is. You know, this young man would come to be betrothed to a wife, would come with his father, this entourage, with a contract, and the woman, the woman to be married, would come out with her family, and they would read the contract. This is what we will give, uh, what my son will do, all of this stuff. And then at the end of it, the son would take a goblet with wine in it 
and hand it to the, to the woman. And at that point in time, she could say, no, I don't want this. But if she took the cup and drank it, she was saying yes. Right? That's, that's communion. When Jesus was like, hey, guys, this represents the cup of the new covenant, they're like going, he's, he's like asking us to marry him. They would have understood that. So then what happens if she takes the cup, there's much rejoicing. He is so happy. He goes back. I mean, I knew Jeanette was going to say yes to me. I was still really, really happy. I'm like, yes, yes, I will, you know, right? Man, that ring, I'm, I'd see that ring on her finger. I'm like, yeah, I got this, right, you know? But then he would go back to his father's house, and they would build on the house a honeymoon suite. And he wouldn't know the day. He'd know about the time, but he wouldn't know the day or the hour. But at one point, the father would come to his son and say, okay, it's done, go get your bride. And he would come, they would come blowing a shofar and they would come and they would bring this chair that had poles where you could carry a person on a chair. They would bring it and then the woman, see in the Galilean region, it was the only region of Israel that they didn't know the day of their wedding, but they knew it would be about a year. They knew, I mean, they would be hearing, oh man, this is almost done. They're putting furniture in there. They would know this. So she would be ready. She'd come out in her wedding gown and they would sit her in this chair and they would lift her up and they would carry her away to Father's house. That's the rapture of the church. I love this. That's about to happen to you and I. Wow, how can you finish all this? Hallelujah. Wow, I love this. Hmm. So why? Why a rapture of the church? To unite us to Jesus, to be married to him, to be with him forever. Why the rapture of the church? Because his desire for you and I, we are not appointed to wrath. He wants to pull us out of here before his wrath is poured out on this earth. Do you know even the wrath that's poured out is for the purpose? I mean, for 2,000 years, he's wooing people by his love. And now, it's the wrath of God, but it's still for the purpose of people getting saved, to bring them to a position where they'll choose. And we know about half of the earth that doesn't get wiped out by all this natural stuff going on and wars and all this stuff. About half will, will get saved during that period. When we're out of here, 144,000 Jews are going to instantly accept Christ, be sealed and called to be worldwide evangelists, and for three and a half years, they're going to evangelize the world. Millions and millions of people are going to get saved. You know, we talk about a great revival having to happen before the church is out of here. Listen, there's going to be a great revival going to happen with the 144,000, because in the middle of the tribulation, all the people that got saved... And the 144,000 are taken up. There's a mid-trib rapture. That's where that comes from. Because it says an innumerable amount of company are before the throne. And then, but God always has a voice, then two witnesses will come for the last half of the tribulation. And they'll be down here, and the Antichrist will try to kill them, but he won't be able to until three days before the end of the tribulation period. 
It says power is given to him to prevail, and he kills these two witnesses. The world is so happy. It says that they give gifts to each other, they party, they rejoice, but then on the last day of the tribulation, they are raptured out. They stand up. God brings them back to life, and the whole world, it says, sees it. Well, we know with technology, that's real easy. And, and as they go up, the world is just like, whoa. But not as woe as when they're looking up, then the sky rolls back, and now Jesus is coming back. That's good feeling gone right there, right? So this is what, this is, this not might happen. This is as true as us standing here right now. I mean, nothing can stop this. He wants you delivered from this coming wrath. What are we saying? The next prophetic event in your life is the rapture of the church. You are about to go from faith to sight. The age of grace is coming to a close. The tribulation period is about to start. The Antichrist is alive, waiting to be revealed. He can't come to power until we're out of here. You can't have the Christ and the Antichrist, right? The body has to be taken out. Time to come to Christ. Time to put his word first. Now is the time to get your news. I'm telling you, we're in the middle of a political thing. Get, please, do yourself a favor. Get all of your news from this. Don't get it from all this other stuff. Right? I mean, this other stuff, wow. There's a guy in our church who's in the military in public relations, so the, the base, the military has their own news. And in his room, in this room, he's got all these TVs with all the different, he has, he has CNN, he has Fox, and I think it's MSNBC. And he says it's hilarious, because you'll, you'll, you'll watch, CNN will be talking about it and saying this, Fox will be talking about it saying something completely different, MSNBC will be saying something completely different. It makes you realize, what is truth? Who knows? Well, I got, I'm here to tell you the word is truth. You're a world overcomer. Your future is to increase. You abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He is your protector. He's your provider. Prophetic signposts tell us that we are living in the last days. We're living in the season of his return. Never in human history could we see these tangible signs that we're seeing right now. Wow, we're getting close. So I'll close with this. Revelation chapter 6, verse 15 through verse 17. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Thank God the church will be in heaven celebrating the marriage supper of the Lamb. The people of earth will be experienced the wrath of the Lamb during this seven-year period. And really, the last three and a half is called the Great Tribulation. What I just read to you is the sixth seal, which is opened at the end of the tribulation when Jesus comes back to this earth. Guys, this is real. 
I'm here to tell you today, people that you know that don't know God, there is a hell. There is a tribulation. Loved ones, family members, maybe some children. Now is the time to pray for doors of opening, of utterance to you. Pray that God would send labors across, their, across people's paths. Their time is running out. I don't want to take a chance that somebody that I know will not, have, will not be able to make a decision now that they, maybe they don't hear about Christ and then all of a sudden they're in this tribulation period. I'd rather, I'd rather have them look at me and say, I'm not interested because then I've done my job at least.